I had the privilege uh, just last night to be with Sunette and her husband Mark and about 10 others from our church. We joined with uh, around 50 others from various churches around the Bay Area and San Quentin. Um, and even though I've had the privilege to go to San Quentin uh, quite a few times in recent years, I had never gone Christmas caroling. And so uh, it was my first experience doing that. I know many others have been encouraging me to do so, and I'm really glad that I got the opportunity last night. But it's really fun to go into the various cell blocks and to be escorted by some of our friends from the chapel. And it was really fabulous. What I've come to discover at the prison is that one of their most requested Christmas songs is Little Drummer Boy. And I don't know all the reasons. I don't know if that would normally make a top five list or a top ten list even, but I love the song. I have since I was little, and I don't know all the reasons that the men who live there like Little Drummer Boy, but I have an idea that perhaps it has something to do with the fact that uh, in that song... There's the idea that this little drummer boy has so very little to offer, and yet what he does offer, he brings back to give to Jesus. You probably remember the song. Some of the words go like this. Little baby, I am a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king. Shall I play for you on my drum? The thought of the immensity of God, somehow making Himself small enough to come and live among us, a God in all of His majesty and splendor somehow coming to live and to love regular people like you and me is sometimes an overwhelming thought for me. And it should be. And I don't want to lose that sense of being overwhelmed by the fact that this God would love me in such a way. Why would the God of the universe choose, why is part of our Christmas story that he has chosen an animal feed trough to be his first bed? The God who miraculously let Mary conceive, not because she was with a man, but because she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, The God of the universe who could have been born anywhere. The God who who said, uh, arranged a whole census of the entire Roman world. Spoken through the lips of the greatest Roman Caesar. Just so that Mary and Joseph might find their way to Bethlehem in order for prophetic utterance to be fulfilled. What grand measures God went to could have been chosen to have been born anywhere. But he chose to go to this little town on the outskirts of Jerusalem, in this little place, to be laid down in a manger. We're going to read about the first people who were invited to the party in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The most unexpected invitees. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I'm always captured by that. The comfort that the angel brings to Christmas. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds, of all the people to be invited to the party, shepherds, shepherds, do you know much about shepherds of the first century? Think of a group today or a person today that you would least expect to get an invitation to the party. That's what the shepherds were. The least qualified, the least wanted, the least welcomed. They had a low reputation. You know, if Garth Brooks sang his song, I Have Friend in Low Places, he was probably singing about the shepherds as his good friends. They were neither respected nor welcomed anywhere, almost. We know how a reputation is created, don't we? Whether that reputation is good or bad, it's because of online reviews, right? (laughs) Yelp, other things. No, more seriously, we, we know that that reputations um, are, are built and, and can be earned over time for sure. Sometimes reputations can be caused because of slander, but often reputations are built over time because of repeated action, repeated things, especially when someone has a, something or someone has a good reputation, right? Think of a company that has a good reputation, maybe your favorite car brand. When I was growing up, I grew up in a Ford family. That's right. We, we used to call ourselves, we're a Ford family, or others were Chevy families. I don't know why, it's just a, a reality of where I grew up. And, and we love Fords in my family, and my family had a Ford LTD station wagon, and I remember my parents brought it home, and um, we, you know, the kids piled in and probably started scratching and scuffing it, not on purpose, but we opened up the glove box and there were eight-track tapes. You remember eight-track tapes? And, and that's where I discovered John Denver and Grandma's feather bed. Um, it was so amazing. We, we loved that car, but we were Ford people. And Ford, for us, because of the reputation at that time for us, the reputation that we thought Ford had built over time because of repeated action, we, we took the words F-O-R-D, Ford, and we said, first on race day. That's what Ford was for us because of the reputation. Now, others might have thought otherwise, but, but they don't matter. Um, it just doesn't matter. In recent years, I've, I've become really solid with Toyota and Honda uh, as cars because I have learned from firsthand experience how reliable and dependable those cars are. And you know who agrees with me? Consumer Reports. Every year in their uh, their car report, they are always listed toward the top. And that reputation has been earned over years and years of repeated good action. Now, think about the car brand that you don't think carries a reputation that you think is good. Don't speak it out loud because your neighbor might be driving one home today. But... But you know, those brands often get reputations for similar reasons. Think about reputation in 
people that come from certain places around the world, they get reputations. You know, Americans are known as the ugly American, right? Uh, especially when we travel and, and vacation places where we're loud and can be obnoxious. And, and I think it's a well-earned uh, reputation. I've traveled abroad. I've observed other people like you traveling abroad. And it's a well-earned reputation at times. But think about Canadian people. You know, Canadian people, they have this reputation for being so courteous and, and kind and sweet. And it's a well-earned reputation over repeated action over generations. And um, I was so struck with Canadians that I married the very first one I met. <laughs> because the reputation held true. Right? Reputations are earned. The shepherds had a reputation. And you know what the reputation was? It was one of dishonesty. They were known as people with sticky fingers. When I was a kid, we used to call it the five-finger discount. You know what a five-finger discount is? You walk in, you don't have money in your pocket. But if you have five fingers, you might walk out with something you like, right? Thievery. Stealing. It's not good, Joyce. It's not good to steal. But the shepherds were known as dishonest people. That was their reputation. And whether it was earned or not, that was how they were viewed and how they were evaluated. They were considered religiously unclean. They were not welcome into most places. They were not people that you would expect to be invited to the party. Now, if you were a middle-class suburbanite living, living in the uh, bedroom community of Bethlehem, uh, in the first century, the shepherds would have been the very last people you would expect to be welcomed to anything important, let alone the birthday of Jesus. So where does God come? He comes to shepherds. Isn't that right? That's what the Bible tells us. It's, it's important that we understand this is not just a cute little manger scene that God is painting for us. God is helping us understand in the Christmas story and in His arrival to the shepherds, part of what we are to understand is the people that God loves are the lowliest of people. God has not come just for the influential and important. God has not come just for the wealthy. God has not come just for the pretty people. But He's come for the down and out also. And the lowliest of low, the people with bad reputations, God loves them too. When I look in the mirror, I'm reminded that God loves me too. And God loves you. It's why He has come into the world. It's why He would empty Himself to come all the way to Bethlehem, all the way to a manger for his first bed. Philippians chapter 2 helps us understand a little bit of what this means. It says there, Do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others more than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude, listen, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And we're about to hear what that attitude was. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus is our example of humility. And God, even though He could have gone anywhere in the world, He came, emptied Himself, coming to Bethlehem with a manger for His first bed. And that, that manger, it's, we're told in this passage three different times the word manger comes up. And, and that's a clue that that's an important facet that God wants us to latch on to. Three different times. Because what better sign for a shepherd would be more tailor-made for a shepherd to know that God, if this is really God's working, and the angel, that big display, had demonstrated it so, the sign was to go and find, what, a baby wrapped in claws? There might have been a second baby in Bethlehem that night wrapped in claws, but there was only one in a manger, because the angels were told to go and find the one in a manger. That's not just a small detail, it's because the shepherds would know. That this God really knows us. And in spite of how people may view us or understand us or relate to us, God loves me enough to come and to come all the way to a manger, a feeding trough to lay his head. You see, God doesn't come into the factory wearing a tuxedo. He doesn't walk into the kitchen to prepare dinner worried about a manicure. Jesus was not placed in a gold leaf cradle to start his life. He was coming for the least and the lowliest out of love. It matters. The message of the angel. They say glory to God in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth to men peace to men on whom his favor rests. This peace the angels are talking about here is not just an inner sense of peace and settledness and calm. The Bible does talk about that. And and we are told that Jesus gives us a full measure of His peace. Absolutely. But when the angels are talking about peace here, it's talking about putting down the weapons of war and and, and coming to a truce agreement. And, And that's what's happening here because Jesus came into the world because he came first in a cradle, in this this stone-forged cradle, this manger. Because he did that, he was able then to go to the cross. And he had to go to the cross so that our sin could be dealt with. And our sin had to be dealt with because it's what keeps us from knowing God. And if your sin is not dealt with, you do not have peace with God. So the angel's message to them is God is coming in Jesus to bring peace so that we who are at war with God, and that's everyone before Jesus has come and forgiven and restored and redeemed your life. You are at war with God. But God has come to make peace with you and to bring you into this relationship with Him. Now, what kind of response do you think these lowly shepherds would have at such a message? Do you think it was like this? Oh, glad that light's gone. That noise has gone away. It's nighttime, and, and I'm tired. And you think they just rolled over and went back to sleep? This message of peace, and this message that Jesus was coming to a manger for you, shepherds. For you, you're not forgotten. 
You're not underneath the gaze of God. You're right in the gaze of God. You're not beyond the reach of God's grace. His grace has been offered to you. Go and see for yourself. Go and find out. And so what is their response? At Christmas, brothers and sisters, is not about curbing your enthusiasm. Christmas is about letting it go. It's about being exuberant at the coming of Jesus. That's why so many of our songs are filled with joy. Even though we we may be experiencing any season uh, a sadness, of course, but overarching is the joy of the Lord who has come at Christmas. It's just like my favorite version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the movie, is Willy Wonka, the Gene Wilder version. And I love the, the excitement, the enthusiasm all across the land. People are waiting. They're, they're getting their chocolate bars and they're wanting to get one of those very few precious golden tickets. And when you do, you open up your candy bar. And if you have one of those golden tickets, do you sit down and say, ah, it's not a big deal? No! There is great unbridled joy and enthusiasm because you get to go visit the chocolate factory, right? That's what the shepherd's response was like. It was unbridled joy and enthusiasm that God is making peace possible with me in the coming of Jesus. And I, as a lowly shepherd, can go and find this God in the flesh Messiah in a feeding trough. I know what feeding troughs are like. Are you saying that God can relate to me too? Yes. Are you saying that God is coming to meet me where I am? Yes. That's what God does. And then He takes you with Him where He wants you to be. He takes you with Him where He wants you to go. He takes you with Him so that He can do His growth in you. That's the work of spiritual life in Christ. So as we wrap up this morning, what do we do with this humility that we see in Jesus? That no one is beyond His gaze, no one is underneath His gaze, out of His vision, no one is beyond the reach of His grace. Well, we are told to be people who emulate Him, who pattern our lives after Him. Do things like Jesus does. Because if Jesus is in me, Jesus ought to come out of me. Do you believe that this morning? If Jesus is in you, don't you think Jesus ought to be coming out of you in your behavior, in your attitudes, in your thought life, in your actions to people? Let's read a little bit more about Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start a little earlier in verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, value others more than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What was his attitude? It was one of humility. Not considering equality with God something to hold on to, but he willingly let go of that so that he could come and be born In a manger, come and invite lowly shepherds to come so that everyone on the planet might know that you're not beyond the gaze of God and you're not beyond the grace of God. 
And so we, as men and women, as sons and daughters of the Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called now to so humbly live that we live for the blessing and benefit of other people, not just our own needs, not pushing forward myself first, but lifting others up because that's what Jesus does. We have the same attitude as Jesus where I don't hang on to title and, and that, that becomes less important. My position, my education, uh, my titles, uh, the way people stroke an ego, uh, the way I get a claim, all of that becomes distant, distant, distant in my pursuit of life and lifting others up in humility and valuing them even over myself becomes one of the great hallmarks of Christian living. The same attitude that was in Jesus ought to be in us in the way we interact with each other. May it be so, not just in what we say, but may it be true in the way we live our lives. Father, we thank You for this great reminder at Christmas that You have come to Bethlehem of all places and were laid in a feeding trough of all beds, and you invited shepherds of all people, and you come into our lives today. And you invite us today, because no one in this room is underneath your gaze, because you look right at us. No one in this room is beyond the reach of your grace, because if you've reached out of heaven all the way to Bethlehem, you certainly reach your hand right into our hearts, and you offer us your very life. May we accept this great gift, the greatest of gifts at Christmas. To say yes to you, to understand maybe today that yes, I have not been and had this sense of peace established between you and me. Maybe today is the day that salvation would come into my heart and life. Lord, may this Christmas, may we resonate deeply and rejoice loudly And may our enthusiasm be not curbed or bridled, but may it be set loose to give glory to you so that the world may take notice of the wonder of who you are. Help us in our humility with each other. May we walk in love with the same attitude of Jesus. We pray now in his name, Emmanuel, God with us. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. We are going to stand, we're going to sing our closing song together, a reminder of the lowly Jesus who's come to lift us up. Won't you stand and let's sing together.